Part ten of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty six The Arvale for Swain Bjornson. Grand doings were at Greenodd House. There was a table set out before the door, and drinking horns upon it, and a vat of ale in the porch. Rosy cheeked lasses in their feast day kirtles and kerchiefs served all comers by way of a welcome and a foretaste of the supper for this day was the arvale made for swain bjornson who had fallen at the battle of brunenburg it was their custom to bid to the funeral feast all their neighbours and friends not only that they might do honour to the dead but also that they might bear witness to the incoming of his heirs according to law and the wanted order of kinship this they called arvale which is as much as to say inheritance ale as they said bride ale for the wedding feast and still in these parts the name is given to cakes they make at funerals which they call arval cakes now when thorstein came up to the door guests were in the act of arriving namely a good neighbour whom he knew for master asmund whose land was asmund ali up over the back fell he had come now and then to feasts and meetings at Greenodd and the leg-barrow. He was finely dressed in a new kirtle and hose of the best homespun. He wore a broad felt hat and leather riding-boots with bright spurs to them, and when he lit down from his horse, he stood in the porch with a seasonable sadness, and drank his ale to the good luck of the house, and hemmed and sighed and wiped his beard and walked in. With him was a bright little slip of a lass, who must be his daughter, for one could see that her nag was well groomed and well fed, and though she was covered from head to foot with a great hooded riding cloak of dark blue, and somewhat splashed with mud, such a merry grey eye looked out from the hood, and such a dainty foot stood in Thorstein's hand as he helped her from the saddle, for he happened to be the nighest, that there was no doubt of it who she was. She just put the horn to her lips cast her eye round with a little grimace, and mimicking the grave gait of her father, stepped in after him. Thorstein looked at the servant lasses, but they were strange to him. He saw that a feast was forward, and guessed well enough the reason why, for the fell folk had already heard tidings of a great defeat, and he knew his father had passed him that night of evil luck on the way to the battle. He could put two and two together now, and as he stood in the porch, glad to be home again, it came over him suddenly that this was no more his father's house, and that his three years' long desire was unfulfilled after all, and the tears came into his eyes. Just then stood forth a couple of finely dressed young men, returned to the porch after bestowing neighbour Asmund and his daughter within. "'Now, my good fellow,' said Orm roughly, "'no loitering here with the lasses and the ale.' the thrall's quarters are yonder hold hard said hundy this is none of asmund's folk he's more like a wild lad from the fells with his long naked sword nay now he's a queer one what is thine errand friend thorstein said nothing words failed him to think his own brothers knew him no more but just then the mother came out wet-eyed but bustling over her guests and anxious that all should be rightly seen to. Nay, never ask if she mistook him, or bade him be gone. Well, 
the guests had come and the supper was ready the hall was hung with its finest tapestries and the floor new strewn with fern after a fashion that was sometimes followed then a days men and women were paired off to eat together una sat in her own high seat with asmund as honoured guest beside her on her left was Rod, her brother who had taken land just across the water at Roudsey. one place was empty the high seat of the master of the house but in all others men and women sat according to their rank for the woman's thwart bench was not yet come into fashion but if for weddings as it fell out thorstein was given for his partner the young lass asmund's daughter asdis by name folk nodded and patted the table with hard fingers when they too sat down as if to say welcome back and as though they would add well matched lad and lass for asdis came out of her cloak like a butterfly from its shell and thorstein when his mother had bathed him and trimmed his hair and dressed him and little else she did before supper-time from the moment she set eyes on him why then he was quite another lad and they all said as much hundy was quite friendly and orm was civil enough though he whispered to hundy why couldn't the fellow have come to-morrow eh said hundy bluntly why to-morrow only that half is more than a third thick-head then hundy went over to thorstein and kissed him and gave him a good slap on the back saying how about that whale lad at which they all laughed for they knew the story well but sobered themselves of a sudden and fell to business namely their supper asdis the roguish lass ate off thorstein's plate and drank out of his cup for at feasts when guests outnumbered the household goods that was their way and between the mouthfuls she chattered in a low voice for it was not seemly to speak loud at a feast for the dead so neighbour thorstein swainson you've been seeing the world ay and maybe you've set eyes on a deal of grand folk kings and queens and such like ay you don't say so hark to him happen you've been faring to micklegarth and aboon nay what then not overseas well maybe over the fells and far away ay and clean forgotten thy mother tongue or more like grown a peacock that has never a word for such as us nay i thought as much tell me neighbour didst thou see a ragged lad in the porch this afternoon nay good then i'll tell thee he was a scarecrow he was who'd have thought of a prince in disguise and so she went on teasing and bantering him while he could not but spy at her round the corners of his eyes so pretty she was in her low-cut kirtle and gold necklace on a wide smooth neck with the locks of her unbraided yellow hair brushing his sleeve and the dimples in her little soft knuckles coming and going as she handled and turned the cup before him she was so dainty that he was fairly abashed and never knew how to answer her and hardly dared touch the trencher with his rough paws there she was laughing softly and joking in a whisper with her apple-blossom chin over his shoulder and folk staring at him too till he was fit to sink under the table then he drank up all the ale and held out the cup for more and drank that and then he felt more blate than ever and sat stock still for fear he should do something foolish for ale-drinking was strange to him 
he got little stronger than milk on the fell at the best of times when they had eaten healths were drunk a cup to thor and a cup to each of the gods at each health they all rapped the tables and shouted then one stood up and hemmed and coughed it was master asmund their neighbour and he spoke in a loud sing-song voice friends all and neighbours here we are met together under this kindly roof-tree on a joyful errand nay what say i joyful is the day that brings the wanderer to his home at which they shouted hear him welcome thorstein swainson and joyful it is to find a hearty welcome from our worthy hostess even in the midst of her great sorrow well said they cried all and right and meet it is to come together to cheer the widow and the orphan and to speak a word of praise for him that is gone speak on they cried ay friends and neighbours he was a good man was swain bjornson when i bethink me of the days he used to come home ten and twelve winters it is and more from summer leading before ever this new order of things began when there was none of the nonsense that's talked nowadays about folk right and king's law and the like i say when i bethink me of our good neighbour that was and him coming home by harvest time as regular as the swallows in spring with a shipload of fine wares that had cost him many a hard knock in the gathering and many a long cruise on strange coasts and through stormy seas i can see him once again in his seat over yonder at the feast he used to give for his homecoming and the harvest of the sea and well i mind his hearty voice take thy time neighbour make thy choice he would say for he had a gift in the heap for every guest and a good word with it and when i look round on the land he stubbed bonny corn rigs and lee land it is now and few of ye can call to mind as well as i the rough spot this used to be before ever he set to work upon it when i come over the fell and look down on this fine house he raised fit up it is with every comfort and nothing a-wanting to suit his lady high-born as she may be what with householding gear and servants outdoors and in dairy fit for a king's daughter and buyers of the best and all the stock so well managed for there's a deal more in managing mind you than some folk allow that are always blaming their luck for every beast they lose and every load of hay that they let rot in the rain i say he was a grand man and long will it be or we see the like of him again it is not his friends only that say so mind you they tell me that the very king of england himself offered our neighbour to make him a thane and set him over the countryside to take scat of the folk but nay says swain bjornson as proud as a prince nor thane of thine nor thrall of thine will i be says he to the king i'm a free statesman and a good neighbour to all said he and ye kings may late your tools otherwares that was a grand speech friends and many's the grand word we've had from him over yonder at our meetings and many a time folk have been ruled by his reed for look you friends there was never a man of us but kenned right well that swain bjornson spoke his mind and every word came out of a good heart and honest though maybe we could not all of us go as far as he did in some matters 
and now said asmund bringing his speech to end he is gone and we shall see him no more over the fells in the great battle play hewing down his foes as a lad hags weeds with his wand leaping through the spears of the english and shouting to the cowards who dared not follow him the kempen captain of the little band that backed him until the saxons faltered and fled so they tell the tale that saw it ay and if owain and constantine and olaf the dane had but found a handful such as he there would have been another tale to tell of the doings at brunnenburg but it pleased the all-father to send for him and take him to himself right glad we should have been to have laid our neighbour in his own how to overlook the lands he has won and the house he has planted but afar on the Winheath he lies and odin has spared him the sorrow of a straw death let us be glad friends and rejoice for him for the deeds he has done in his life and for the glory he has gathered in his death drink with me this cup to him drink to swain bjornson standing up they drank in silence and in silence they sat down again then orm swainson as being the eldest son of his father stood in his place to drink the braggy cup it was their custom at arvales to leave the dead man's high seat empty until his health had been drunk and honoured with some fitting speech or vow made by him who should be the chief heir to the name of the dead and not until then might he sit in the empty high seat and by that token take the rule over the house of his father so orm's cup was filled and he rose and came into the middle of the hall and stood with one foot on the stone curb of the hearth i drink he cried aloud this cup to braggy and i vow hereby to do vengeance for the dead and justice to the living then they cried out that he had vowed well could say no less and need say no more and they made room for him to take his place upon his father's seat as master of the house thenceforward then far into the night they sat to drink and each man told his tale of him that was gone or sang a song in honour of him but long before they were done with their feast thorstein's eyes were closed for he was heavy with travelling and with the joy and sorrow of homecoming and maybe also with the strong ale he had drunk so he slept where he sat long after astis pouting and vexed had gone off to her chamber with the rest of the womenkind thus ended the first day of the arvale for swain bjornson and all the while in the dark night raniach clung to the branches of the wild apple tree by crakeford weary and hungry and sick at heart and listening for thorstein and when she slept for very weariness she dreamed that he was dragging her among proud strangers who scorned her and then that he was saying off off ugly paddock and she awoke weeping and listened for him in the patter of the rain upon the drenched leaves in the dawning chapter twenty seven swain bjornson's heirs morning came and they were stirring thorstein found it hard to awake but as he rubbed his eyes and shook himself there came over him the thought of raniach and how he had left her and he was bitterly ashamed he ran to his mother and mother said he 
I have been both knave and fool. What now, Barn? said she. Mother, said he, I had a gold ring in my hand, and I dropped it in the ale-vat. Never heed it, Barn, said she. Thou wilt have gold rings enough, and that thou wilt see before to-day is done, and thy old one will land up when the ale is drunk. Mother, he said, there was a young lass with me as I came along the road, and I left her hard by Crakeford, for she was weary, she said, and would come no farther. Alas, Barn, what, thou art young to lead lasses up and down, but lads will be men nowadays, no sooner than they are out of swaddling clothes. And what sort of a lass may she be? She's a good lass, mother, and a kind one to me, and I'd liefer by far lose ring or ring finger. What then, lad? I'll say nay to nothing, now I have thee home, but be guided. Here we are all throng as throng can be, and folk to break their fast, and menfolk are aye fractious on the morrow of a feast until they be served. And there's a settlement to follow, and a gay work it will be to get through, unless Orm be more reasonable than I fear. Let me send one of our men to late thy lass, and bestow her in one of the thrall's cots until we get these guests off our hands. Or if thy mind is to fetch her here upon us all, maybe Asdis Asmund's daughter will give her a share of her bed. That's a bonny lass, Thorstein. Name, mother, answered he, stuttering. I doubt Astis will give us no thanks for thrusting a stranger upon her, and Raniach. What? said his mother. Is it an Irish woman? Never mind what, mother, now, but I say she will be better suited elsewhere than here, until this turmoil is over, and then. The first thing was their breakfast, which was a great meal with the North folk, then a days, and the set-out was well nigh as big as at supper-time. Next thing was the settlement, and division of the dead man's goods, to be done before the neighbours, fair and square, and above board, for in those days they had no lawyers and writings and such like, either for the making of laws, or for the conveying of property, and all was done by word of mouth and deed of hand, in the presence of witnesses, whose testimony was the only token of the continuance of a custom or the assurance of ownership. After question asked and answered about debts the dead man might owe, and after sundry to whom he had lent money or goods had repaid them in bags of silver or ells of cloth, they came to the division of the estate. It was their use for the widow to take one part in three, both of the land and goods. After some talk they climbed the how and parcelled out the whole land-take of Swain Bjornson, both wildwood and cleared land and coming down from the how, they all walked over the grounds as they had measured them out from above, beating the boundaries and planting staves or stones from point to point along. And this side of the line, up-bank towards Greenodd, was to be Unna's, and the other side was to be for the rest of the heirs. Of furniture and movable things, ornaments and apparel and household gear, they carried out a third part and stood them in a heap in one of the sheds until it should be settled where Unna would bestow herself and her goods. Then she chose out her third part of the thralls, both men and maids, and set them aside. And by that time the morning was spent and the midday drinking was served to them in the disordered garth. But to the younger folk all this was a holiday making 
and it was merriment to see arcs opened and goods shifted, and the thralls set out in a line and chosen, and to hear the maids say, Oh, mistress, take me! And to one and another, the mistress replying, Nay, lass, I know thee too well. So then they talked about what should be done as between the three lads, until one said, It has been done before, neighbours, and it is often a good custom for the firstborn to get house and land, and for the younger to take the movable goods. Now here we have three lads, and if we set all that remains in three shares, namely house and land and farming stock to one share, and the ship and all that belongs to it, boats and boat-sheds, tools and tackle and such like, to another share, and lastly, if we reckon up silver and gold, apparel and furniture, and such chattels to the third share, then I say we shall not be far from a fair parting of the estate. And I say that if Orm Swainson takes the house and farm, he will do well, and if Hundy takes the ship and goes abroad, he is like to thrive, and if Thorstein the child gets the money and movables, he will be well set up. At this Orm boggled somewhat, for, said he, an empty house is cold cheer. But Thorstein answered, Why, brother, we can mend that. Give me and my goods house-room, and I will give thee the help of me and mine. And so said on, for she was loath to leave the old spot, and Orm knew right well what a manager she was. And so they settled it without more ado, and went down to the field for a game of wrestling. There they played until supper-time, and Thorstein acquitted himself right well, though he was hardly fifteen years of age and far from full grown. But his life on the fells had hardened him, so that Hundy Snail, as they called him, because he was easy and fat, went down under the youngster, and even Orm was thrown twice out of thrice, at which he was vexed, though he said little. So to set matters right, Unna bade them in to supper, and as they went up to supper, said Asmund to Thorstein, A word with thee, my lad. Say on, master, says he. Look you now, says Asmund, thou hast been these three winters away, and no doubt we shall hear of thy doings. But one thing I see, and that is thou hast not lost thy time. Thank you kindly, says Thorstein. But, says Asmund, take a word from one who knows. It is not all of us who have the trick, like thy poor father, of being soft to friends and sour only to foes. And even betwixt brothers, things do not always fall as one would. Now, was it quite wise in thee to throw thy brother Orm, thinkst thou, those two times? Was not once enough? What, said he, I threw him fair. Aha, laughed Asmund, fair is foul in such matters. Riddle me that, lad. But when thou comest to know Orm a bit better, from serving him a month or two. Serving him? cries Thorstein. Well, what else, since he is master of the house, and a masterful man at any time? But when thou hast need of a friend and a friendly roof over thy head, take thy money-bags, if aught be left in them, and hie thy ways over to Asmundalee. Say no more, my lad, but bear it in mind. So they went to supper, and Asdis sat again by Thorstein, daintier than ever, and not a bit put out with him, and he was a deal more at his ease. And while men drank after supper, said she, Bonny things, Master Wrestler, 
I spied among thy goods, and a lucky lad is the getter of them. Aye, said he, they are fine enough, I suppose. Would it be asking overmuch to have a sight of them once again before we go? There's a stitch in some of thy hangings I would be glad to learn. So he brought an armful and cleared the table where they sat, and she fingered the embroideries and praised them, and praised him until he had given her a good half of them in spite of her nays. What, she said at last, I see no more if everything I touch is to be given me. But in one of thy kists I saw a fine draught board. Shall we have a game? I doubt, said he, I've forgotten how to play. Oh, said she, clapping her hands, then I'll teach thee, Master Mountain Bear, and that will be fun, for it's dull for us poor lasses if you men do naught but drink till bedtime and a boon. So he found the draught board and the carved knaves, and they played fox and geese until he learned something of the trick of it. Then she said, Nay, thou art fairly my master. I'll teach no more. Let us play rightly as folk do, and stake a trifle on a game or two. Well, the end was she won a good bit more of Thorstein's fineries, and carried a great heap off to bed with her, and if she was pleased, so was he, at finding any way to please so pretty and dainty a creature. End of part 10